Lord. Good morning, church. It's a blessing to be in God's house this morning. It's great to see each and every single one of you. Welcome to those who are joining us online as well. It's uh, uh, just so grateful for the way in which we have the opportunity to worship and fellowship together this Sunday. Before I get into God's word, which is in Romans chapter 12, so if you want to get a, a head start, you can begin uh, scrolling to that or flipping your pages to Romans chapter 12. We're continuing in our Roman series. Um, but before I do that, uh, just a couple of housekeeping things. Uh, first, I want to say happy birthday to George, our main man, George Ramirez. Today is his birthday, and uh, he gets to celebrate it in the house of God. And so, uh, George, we love you, man. Happy birthday, bro. Yeah. Um, and then also want to uh, share greetings from uh, Pastor Josh and Pastor Boomy, who are currently en route to Italy. Uh, they just spent time in France and had a wonderful time there, uh, enjoying themselves, and now they are on their way over to Italy today. Uh, in fact, uh, just a, a couple of seconds ago, I saw the text message of them on the airplane making their way over to Italy, um, and so they're, they're having a great time. They're uh, enjoying this much-needed break. If you were here last week, uh, we prayed over them and blessed them as they stepped into this season of sabbatical, which is essentially uh, taking a breather. Uh, to connect with the Lord and to connect with each other um, and to trust that God has got this place under control. Amen? Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm just grateful to be part of a church where that's possible. I know there, aren't, uh, there are churches where that's not always uh, the case. And so to be in a place where we are um, blessed with capable leadership, uh, thanks to Pastor Joe for stepping in. Um, and there have been some challenges already in this last week. Uh, and so thank the Lord for your uh, willingness to step into that leadership role, PJ, and, uh, and to continue the, uh, continue the work forward. Uh, so I'm excited to get into God's word this morning. Um, I think this is, Romans 12 is just a wonderful uh, passage of scripture. Um, I, I would consider Romans 12, especially the part that we're getting into today, uh, verses 3 through 8, to be kind of like a family meeting. You ever been in a family meeting before uh, where you got to get, get together? You know, the first part of Romans, Paul's really teaching them good, sound theology. He wants them to know who is Jesus, what has he done, what is sin, what is God doing about sin. And so we get a lot of good theology, good teaching uh, in that early part of Romans. And then now we get into Romans chapter 12, and he's like, all right, man, we got to talk like family. Bring it in, right? Everybody have a seat. Uh, because we got to go over some things because there are some challenges that we have interpersonally as a community that's going to get in the way of what God wants to do in this church and in our surrounding community of Rome. So Paul's like, we got to get some stuff out on the table. Now, whenever you got to get into a family meeting, you know oftentimes, especially if family meetings aren't called regularly, and then all of a sudden dad or mom or grandpa or grandma all of a sudden says, all right, guys, we got to get together and talk, right? The first thing that comes to mind is, uh-oh. What are we about to talk about, right? Something's going down. Uh, we need to dive into some, some stuff. Uh, but it's important for us to recognize that if we want to uh, continue to, both within the church and in our families, grow to the next level of our maturity in Christ, then we have to be willing to talk about hard things, right? If we never have conflict, then it what it probably means is that we're probably not doing the right things. If everything is always good, it probably means there are a lot of issues that we're not bringing 
forward, and what happens is it'll stay there until the moment when all of a sudden everything surfaces, and when it surfaces, what takes place at that point is a major blow up, and things go way out of control because we haven't been dealing with the challenges that we need to be talking about. Somebody say amen. Or, or you could say, ouch. If, you, if, you're not, if you're not too excited about the trajectory of that message, you could just say, ouch. And that's all right. We can keep it real. So Paul's taking us in Romans 12 into a bit of a family meeting. And so I want you to kind of prepare yourselves this morning that we're entering into a family meeting to listen to what the Lord might be speaking to us in terms of what it looks like and feels like to be the body of Christ. Which, by the way, isn't always easy. I mean, there's moments when you're part of the body of Christ where it's exciting. I mean, we just, we just uh, celebrated the uh, new membership of Tanisha, who's my neighbor, and her husband, Sam, who we grew up together here in Carson, and, and baby Nayeli, who's like uh, one of Ruthie's favorite little friends on the block that they get a chance to, to hang out with. You know, Ruthie, she's trying to recruit uh, a l- little girls so that they could do makeup parties and stuff like that. So every time they come over the house, next thing you know, we can't find Nayeli, and then she and Ruthie are over there, uh, you know, Making, them, making themselves up and all that good stuff. Um, but we just celebrated that moment. It's exciting, right? There's these moments in community where it's like easy to be in community, where, where, where you're encouraged when you walk into the, the house of God and you see somebody and they give you a big hug or they tell you it's good to see you or they're praying with you or moments of, uh, of worship where we can hear our corporate voice lifted up to the Lord and, and you can't do that with iTunes. You can't do that with Apple Music. You can't do that with Spotify. You might be able to worship alongside Elevation Music or, or Bethel Music or Maverick City in your car. And, and don't get me wrong, it's a good thing to do that, but that will not reproduce what it feels like to be inside the house of God, collectively, intergenerationally, multiculturally, lifting up our voice in unison unto God, giving him praise for who he is and what he's done and what he's up to. That's a special moment moment, right? Because in, in that moment, I, I'm encouraged because I, I get to see how some of my brothers and sisters worship. I get to see somebody on their knees crying out before the Lord or giving thanks and praise to God or just kind of quietly sitting there, but I could see God's up to something. And that's encouraging. So there are these moments in the body where it's easy to be in the body of Christ. And then Paul in Romans 12 is starting to kind of shift gears and talk about moments in the body when it's not very easy to be part of the body of Christ. Because we're infected both in the first century that Paul's addressing in Rome, as well as in the 21st century in America, with this thing called individualism, where we have a hard time figuring out what it looks like to be a community. Why? Because whenever you have two people in a room, you're going to have two opinions. Right? Whenever you have five people in a room, you got five people who think they're right. And so uh, Paul begins to take us through this thing. And, and so as we kind of get ready to dive into Romans 12, I want you to picture with me because I think, I think reflecting on what we're doing right now is important as we think about what Paul's talking about in Romans 12. So what I mean by that is this. If we come into the church, and by the way, doesn't the air conditioning feel great today? I don't know about you, but I walked in this morning, I was like, ha, ah, thank you, Lord. Feels so good. Poor Selah, Nana's daughter over there, she was like, Uncle Koba, I'm cold. <laughs> I'm like, man, it's a good thing to be cold in July. Praise God, right? That means people paying their tithes, right, so that we can keep the air conditioning going. Amen. Thank the Lord we're not sweating in here, right? 
Because then if you start sweating because it's hot, you start wondering if people think you're sweating because you're being convicted of sin. So at the very least, if you're sweating right now, something's real, you got to go to the doctor. Because it's cold enough in here for nobody to be sweating. Just saying, just saying. <laughs> and if not, I could tell you the hot spots where the ACs blow down. Because if you sit in that episode, no, I'm just kidding. Let me get off of that. Okay, so imagine, imagine this. Imagine, right, uh, we're getting ready. It's July. Uh, you know, I, I'm a football fan, and so I know that right now they're getting ready to go into summer camp, which is kind of like leads right into the preseason and all that, right? But imagine, have you ever, like, seen on TV or maybe even participated for those who uh, were part of a team before, a pregame speech? Have you ever been part of a pregame speech or you've seen one on TV? It's that moment right before the game starts where the coach gathers the players, maybe in the locker room or a classroom uh, for those who are in high schools or wherever it may be. And it's in that moment, right, where if, if it's a good coach, okay, then you're probably not doing too much time in like five minutes before the game talking about the game plan. Because if that's the case, you should have done that a long time ago. Uh, Dave gave me a phrase that he says they talk about, well, by the time they get to like Friday or Saturday leading up to the game, he says, the hay's in the barn. In other words, the work has been done, and at this point, we just need to get ready mentally and emotionally and even spiritually and physically for the game. But the game plan's already done. And so typically in a pregame speech, it's not somebody coming up there saying, okay, don't forget, here's how we're going to approach the game. Usually what happens is a little bit of motivation, Right? A little bit of inspiration. Let's remind you what we're trying to do today. Let's remind you what our goal is. Let's remind you how we can get this done. Let's remind you why you're capable enough to go out there and give it your best, right? And so usually that pregame speech is used to kind of like pump up the team, right? But imagine like you went to a pregame speech and you just got like the most motivational, inspirational pregame talk that got you feeling very excited. You could not wait to get out there and play. And then all of a sudden the coach at the end of the pregame speech says, all right, everybody, we'll see you next week this same exact time for another pregame speech. And there's no game. Wouldn't that be awkward, right? You got your blood all going, your adrenaline's pumping, your heart's racing fast, and you're ready to play a game, and all of a sudden you drive home. And I wonder if sometimes that's what it's like for us in the church today. Come to church on a Sunday, get touched during worship, get touched during a message, and then leave and get ready to come back a week later for the same thing. See, we weren't designed to have pregame speech after pregame speech after pregame speech. Worship without ministry is just a concert. If I'm coming in, I want to be entertained, right, and I want to feel good, and then I leave and I'm not doing anything about it, then what we're essentially doing is just giving pregame speech after pregame speech without actually thinking about what it means to be here this morning. And so I, I wore this shirt on purpose today because this shirt reminds us of our purpose. Right? The shirt reminds us the three words that our values for the church is, is saying there are three things that we say at Mission Ebenezer we want to be excellent at and we want to commit ourselves to. And those things are restore, equip, and send. Restore, equip, and send. Now, if we only focus on the restore part of things, then we're simply going to become like a, 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 a spiritual rehab. And we'll, we'll come here and we'll, we'll, we'll try to make ourselves feel a little bit better, right? And then we'll leave, not really wondering how that 
how that work makes a difference in the lives that we live, right? Or if we focus merely on the equipping part and not anything else, then we're going to become so caught up in the work that we do that we won't pay attention to whether or not I'm cultivating a relationship with Jesus, whether or not I'm experiencing the Holy Spirit on a day-to-day basis, right? And so these words are important to us because they remind us that church isn't a worship concert. We're reminded that church isn't simply a social club where we make friends with others that think like us. Church isn't a a place where we come together to be entertained. Church isn't just a place where we can come and deal with our issues for one hour a week, hopefully that we walk out of here feeling a little bit better. No. God has called us with a purpose. Right? And so all of the things that I mentioned... uh, Uh, having a place where we can experience community, we call that fellowship. Having an opportunity where we could sing unto the Lord, we call that worship. Having a a chance for us to learn and dig deep and study God's word individually and as a community, that's called discipleship. And all of that comes together to prepare us to be able to go and serve. Because if that component is missing, which it often is in today's church, We have a lot of folks that enjoy being part of a church but are not yet involved in what does that look like for me to live my life and what does it look like for me to be equipped every Sunday and Wednesday and other days, Saturday, so that I could go out and actually put my gifts, put my time, put my talent, put my passion to the test by going out and serving and being part of God's work in the world. Right? God's calling us to be more than spectators. God's calling us, and I'm not trying to call out anybody individually other than simply to say in America particularly, for whatever reason, we've created a church that feels a lot more like a show than it actually does about getting us ready to do God's work. And because that's more comfortable, then a lot of churches will adopt that model. And we're kind of, I'm not going to say we're not guilty of that because we're influenced as well. So Paul is starting to dig in here in Romans chapter 12. Let's take a look at that and then you'll get a chance to see a little bit of what I'm talking about uh, based on this passage. So let's just, let's read verses 3 through 8 together and then we'll, we'll start to work our way through what's Paul trying to say and what does that mean for us today. Sound good? Okay, Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, And by members, what he's talking about is like body parts, right? And these members or body parts do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. That's Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. So here, Paul, like I said, it's a family meeting, 
And he comes together. And usually whenever you see something in Scripture, especially in the Pauline epistles or letters that Paul's writing to various churches, if he calls something out, that's usually an indication that it's something that they're experiencing. Does that make sense? He's probably not just like wasting time. But when he says to them, hey, stop thinking that you're better than somebody else. Think soberly about who you are and what you bring to the table. If he says that, it's probably because there were those who were part of the church in Rome who maybe felt that their unique contribution somehow was more valuable than the contributions of others. And so Paul's calling that out, right? But there, I, I want to back up a step from, that, uh, from this moment of correction to examine an assumption that Paul's making. And the assumption that Paul's making is that this broken, uh, divided, kind of uh, infant body of Christ in this, the furthest uh, church away from the epicenter at this point of the faith, which was in Jerusalem, right? And he said Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So Rome is kind of the end of the earth, so to speak, at this point, according to uh, kind of missiology and the trajectory of how the early church was growing. So, so Rome is like on the outskirts, and he's, he's trying to help disciple this church to teach them how to be a church. And, uh, and he's saying, some of you uh, think that you're better than others because you think your gifts are better. But, uh, but an assumption that I kind of want to say like, man, th there's something good under there that we need to explore, which is they were actually using their gifts in the body. Let me say that one more time. You have some that think they're better than others because of the gifts that they had, right? But the assumption is that they were all actually using their gifts in the body of Christ, which I want to explore that and simply say before we start talking about uh, superiority complex that we might have, first I want to say, are we actually using our gifts in the body? Because if we're not, then we're kind of a step behind the church in Rome, right? Uh, and so, so Paul's making an assumption, essentially saying here, folks are involved. People are doing stuff. And the problem is, some think what they're doing is more important than others. So I would like to challenge us and say, let's get to that first step first as a church to where we had 100 participation, 100% participation of folks that are connected to our church, utilizing their gifts inside and outside the church for God's glory. Wouldn't that be an awesome goal? Right? Because some people think like, okay, um, you know, we go to church. What does the church do? The church does ministry. What kind of ministries are there? Well, there's the music ministry. Okay, well, I'm not a musician, so that bails me out. Okay, well, we have tech. We have audio, visual. Okay, I'm afraid of computers and smartphones. Maybe that's not for me. Okay, so kind of slowly but surely, we start like uh, essentially excusing ourselves from different ministries based on what we see, right? Uh, what about children's ministry? I don't like kids. Okay, out of that. What about preaching and teaching? I don't like public speaking. Okay, I'm out of that, right? What about the, the Bible study? I don't know that much about the Bible yet, so I guess I'm out of that. So we kind of start go, making our way through the list, canceling ourselves out, thinking that maybe we don't have anything to offer because we have a view of ministry that's actually wrong. Can I explore that for a second? Yeah. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's talking to the church in Ephesus. And he says that the role of pastors and leaders, see, some people think, oh, we use this terminology like I'm called to ministry. So then we end up equating that word ministry with things like preaching, uh, music ministry, 
uh, evangelism or whatever it may be. And all of a sudden now, the definition of ministry is this really tiny box that only a few things fit into. But Paul actually teaches in Ephesians, he says to pastors and leaders and, and deacons and elders, he says, hey, your job is actually not to do ministry. Some of you are like, Pastor Koba, what are you talking about? Maybe the AC's too cranked up. You're a little... No, Paul says, your job as pastors and leaders is to equip the saints, equip the whole body of Christ for the work of ministry. So the definition of ministry then is to serve God with the gifts that we have. And it doesn't only need to take place in ways that we see typically uh, done by those who are called into vocational ministry or pastoral ministry. So in other words, ministry is like so diverse as diverse as the number of body parts that we have. Ears and eyes and hands and feet and legs and arms and all these different things. Paul's saying here, hey, if we're going to be the body of Christ, the way that God is calling us to be, everybody's got to be involved and they got to do their part. And every part has a purpose, right? I learned this lesson back when I was in college. I was uh, playing football. And, um, man, I always had the most embarrassing injuries, you, like, you, you know what I'm talking about? Like, there are, there are injuries that are kind of noble injuries, you know? Like, you break your arm. That's a noble injury, man. You wear a cast, and you're kind of like, yeah, you know, I was trying to bench press 585 pounds, and my arm broke. All right, cool. Like, that's a noble, you know. Well, you probably shouldn't have tried to bench press that much, but, but regardless, it's like you got something to show for it. I broke my hand in warm-ups one time, going 50%. Like, what I mean by that is half speed. We were doing a half speed walkthrough drill, and I broke my hand. That's embarrassing. And then you have some people that, like, break their, you know, their, their, their leg or, or break their ankle. or so, Like, again, noble injuries, right? And, and I was sitting out one time in practice because I couldn't play, and people are coming up to me. What's going on? Are you okay? Like, yeah, I'm all right. You know, what happened, man? You pull your hamstring or something? Like, no, nah, man, I got shin splints. Shin splints? That's an embarrassing injury, man. I didn't want, I had to, I, I was thinking about making up stories just so that I wasn't so embarrassed about my embarrassing injuries that I had. But, but it reminded me in, during those moments that like the, the subtlest things that we don't think matter actually contribute to our functionality. Right? Um, and, and that's the same in the body of Christ. Let's take VBS for a second. We'll do a zoom in on VBS right, so that we can understand the contribution, right, because everybody had to pitch in and contribute in order for VBS to be such a successful event, and by the way, it was extremely successful, and God uh, was glorified through that process, and it couldn't have been done if the body of Christ did not step in and step up and participate and contribute the way that it took place, right, okay, so let's, let's, let's examine that for a second, Right? Because you might be thinking, all right, what is ministry then? And who gets to do ministry? Okay, if you were roaming around making sure that there weren't things happening in the parking lot that shouldn't be happening and people who shouldn't be here that, that don't have any business and that they see a bunch of kids and they might want to come and walk around, guess what? Nobody that had that agenda was going to get close to our kids because we had a security team that was going around making sure the property was protected. Guess what that's called? Ministry. After every night, we had three nights in a row of candy, uh, Cheez-Its, uh, you know, cookies, fruit punch, 
And every day when people showed up here for registration, this sanctuary was spotless. Why? Because right after, in that event, we had people walking around, picking something up, throwing it in the trash, running the vacuum, so that the next day we show up, all of a sudden, it's like, man, what happened last night? This place looks like nobody's been in here for a year. And yet we had hundreds of kids running around here. How does that work? Because somebody said, I want to make sure when people walk into this church, they realize that people take care of this house because they love this place and they believe in what God's doing here. Guess what that's called? Ministry. We had others who were like, hey, you know what? I want to be out there making sure the kids are having fun. I love to see them laugh and smile and run around and jump. And so they're helping with games and they're helping with crafts and all that. Guess what that's called? Ministry. I mean, I don't want to get too personal, but there's probably some kids who haven't smiled all summer. Some who haven't had no fun, who are used to getting yelled at, who are used to being treated like they don't matter. And yet all of a sudden, for two hours in the middle of the week, they get to show up to a place where somebody's looking at them and telling them, there's a God who loves you. There's a God who knows you, knows where, who you are, where you're from, what grade you're in whether mom or dad is at home, whether or not you live with mom or dad. There's a God who did not, uh, uh, it was not by accident that you were created, but intentionally and purposefully created you, right? It was at a VBS where my wife committed her life to Jesus when she was a kid. And so you think about that, and in order for that to, to be successful, man, we needed an army of Mission Ebenezer Family Church faithful to say, I want to be over there registering them, putting a sticker on their shirt so that folks know what their name is and what grade they're in. I want to, make, I want to be part of a teacher, right? Teachers, y'all committed. You, you guys stepped it up into, like, the highest calling for that week because I know it's not easy to come from work. Many of you working full-time job. All of a sudden, take a deep breath as soon as you park your car. Lord, give me the strength <sighs> and the patience. <sighs> Lord, help me to see them with your eyes and not my, help my ears to listen in ways that your ears would listen, like getting pepping yourself up, right? Listening to worship music all the way here on the drive. Come out of the car, ready to dive in, right? Drink your mom's, I'm just kidding. Seriously, though, team effort. Somebody say amen. amen. Security, cleaning the property, teaching, registration, games, crafts, evangelism, praying with the kids. Maybe some of you were like, you know what? I'm going to ask if any of the kids on my street want to come. And so your car all of a sudden turned into a church van for the week. Praise God. Guess what? The Lord anoints your tires and your car when you use your vehicle for his glory. Same thing about your house. When you use, open up your house for God's purpose, the Lord blesses your house. All right? Um, I'm serious. And so all that to say is this. When we're bringing it back to Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, God is calling all of us in the ministry. So I want you to say that right now. I want you to put your hand up and say, the Lord has called me in the ministry. Go ahead and say that right now. Okay? And, and I want you to believe that. And it doesn't need to look the same way that somebody else's ministry looks. In fact, Paul's telling this church in Rome, if you're trying, if you're comparing yourself to somebody else, based on your call, your gifts, and your talents, you're already wrong. Because God has given you a specific ministry, a specific calling, a specific contribution and set of gifts to be used for his glory in the body of Christ. Right? But we get caught up in that whole comparison game. 
And Paul's specifically calling out those on one end of the spectrum that think too highly of themselves, that maybe their gifts are somehow more valuable in the body of Christ, right? When in reality, what Paul is saying here is, hey, hold on, man, think, think a little bit more humbly about who you are, because if, even if you have a gift that might be good, guess who gave it to you? Jesus did, right? It's not your gift in the first place. It's God's gift for the body. You're just a vessel, a go-between. You're, you're kind of like a, 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 just a, a, a someone who's able to take God's gifts and who they're for and somehow be a conduit of God's blessing. So why should I be arrogant about that? A PVC pipe or, or, or a, a, a galvanized steel. I'm, you know, I'm just right in between. Lord, take your blessing. Give it to who you want it to be. I'm right here in between. Help me not to crack. And Paul's saying some think they're better. But I want to I wanna also look on the other end of the spectrum because some don't get involved because they don't think they're good enough. Right? So on the one end of the spectrum, you have those who think what they do is better. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have those who think, I don't have anything to offer. Right? Why? How does that happen? Because you're looking at somebody else. And based on looking at them, you think to yourself, I'm not that, and therefore, because I'm not that, then I don't have anything to give. That is a lie from Satan to keep you away from participating in the great work that God is calling you to be part of. So we need to rebuke that thought and that feeling of insecurity. Okay? And we're going to talk a little bit about some tools as to how we can develop that uh, right now as we continue to move forward. So again, let's let's think of the context of the, the church in Rome. Again, if you were if you've been following us in the Roman series, then we just came out of uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, which my brother preached on last week, verses 1 and 2. And part of that uh, verse was saying, uh, I urge you, brethren, right, brothers and sisters, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Somebody say living sacrifice. Right? And when I think of that phrase or that concept of a living sacrifice, uh, as I was praying about this message, I thought to myself, some of us focus too much on the living part, and others of us focus too much on the sacrifice part. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is simply this. If we focus too much on the living part, then what that means is I'm not going to think about, Lord, how do you want to use me regardless of what I want to do to bring you glory and honor in your kingdom? Right? Because we're focused on living, so we make it about us. Or some focus so much on the sacrifice part, God, I don't care about anything for myself. I don't need anything. I just want to be used for your glory. Um, I'll, I'll die to myself. I'll give you whatever it is that you want me to do. And anything that you ask me to do, I'll do it. And, and then we have some folks who lean in so heavily on that sacrifice part where they get burnt out. Because they forgot that they're human. And they have needs too. And they need to take a little break every once in a while. And they need to share the load because they're the only ones doing that one thing over and over again. And they start to see themselves as a martyr. And woe is me. And why am I the only one who always does this stuff? And nobody else steps up. And then you develop that mentality. Guess what that leads to? Toxicity and burnout. And all of a sudden, you're at the same place as the other person that's selfish. So whether you're too sacrificial or too selfish, they both lead to negative results. So we, we need to put them together and say, what does it look like to be a living sacrifice? Right? A living sacrifice. What does that mean? What that means is this. Lord, here I am. I have some things to offer. 
And I want to be part of a body of Christ where my gifts can be utilized and where I can encourage others in their gifts as well. And if we do that, we will mutually encourage each other and do this thing until you come again. Right? So, so he's talking to this group, and, and he starts to, to kind of call out some things, and he says, hey, don't think of yourself too highly, right? And like I said, I'm inserting the other end of the spectrum. Don't think of yourself too lowly. You matter. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you have gifts, and we need them. Come on, turn to somebody. Turn to like three people and tell them, you have gifts, and we need them. Come on. Okay, so as we think about being called into this work together and recognizing that we're a body, okay, we all are part of that one body. Um, here's, here's an analogy, uh, and we're going to break down this word calling right here for a little bit, but when you think about the calling that God's placed on your life, and the gifts that he's given you, uh, imagine that you're holding a puzzle piece. Everybody put your hand like this, like you got a puzzle piece in your hand. Okay, you got a puzzle piece that is unique to you. It's gifts that God's given you. It's a passion that God's given you, something that you love, something that you're specifically gifted in, okay? Also part of that puzzle piece is a burden that you have, uh, something that breaks your heart, something that either brings you to tears or makes you so moved that you want to see something happen, right? Something that you're like, that needs to change, and I want to be part of that change. That's part of your puzzle piece, okay? You know what else is part of your puzzle piece? Your background, where you come from, what you've been through, your story, your ups and your downs, right? Your pain as well as your joys. It's all part of that puzzle piece. Keep holding your puzzle piece. Some of you already put it down. Come on. Too big, too, you're too used to smartphones. You forgot about board games, all right? Get the puzzle piece out, Okay? <laughs> okay, you got a puzzle piece, all right? Now, here's the thing. When we take that puzzle piece, right, and imagine we, and we're not going to do it right now, uh, but imagine we moved all the chairs to the side, and we all brought our puzzle piece right here in the middle of the sanctuary, and we put it down, and we began to piece it together slowly but surely until all of a sudden at the end when we were done, we saw the face of Jesus. Why? Because... Each of us has been called to utilize who he's called us to be as one of the parts of the body of Christ, right? That means when, when we put those things together, then we can operate that way, right? And so Paul's kind of challenging them and saying, hey, this is where we are. This is what we need to do. There's a big job. Let me remind us of that job. Jesus gathered his disciples together, uh, and it's recorded in the end of the Gospel of Matthew, and he tells them there's a big job. And the big job is simply this, go and make disciples, go and make students, go and make learners of the way of Jesus everywhere that you go and with every people group on this earth. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Jesus has given us the great commission. He's commissioned us for his service, right? As Jesus didn't say, is it okay if I step on our toes again for a little bit? If, if you're a little nervous, go ahead and tuck them back, tuck them back, tuck them back. Especially if you're wearing sandals because, you know, I got some big old, big old shoes right now. And if you're wearing sandals, it ain't, ain't going to feel good, okay? Jesus didn't say, go and make beautiful churches all over the world. Uh-oh, somebody say, ouch. 
Jesus didn't say, go and play as really good music as you possibly can with as cool uh, stage set up as you possibly can in as many buildings around the world as possible. Ouch. Uh, go and see if you can entertain as many people as possible for at least 30 minutes. And if people can't, if their attention span is not that big, then give them a 15-minute sermon. But as long as they feel good after they hear you talk, then you're, you're fulfilling the Great Commission. Jesus didn't say go and, and find other people that you like getting along with who probably come from similar ethnic backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, language backgrounds, and hang out with each other once a week for about an hour and a half and call that church. Jesus said go and make people who want to learn what I'm all about and teach them everything I've taught you and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the Great Commission. But we've twisted it up. We've, twist, we've, 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 we've established wrong and different priorities when Jesus is calling us to be part of this commission and this work. What does that mean? That means there's work to be done. Remember he says in another place, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. And so what, what we're talking about here in Romans 12 is in order to know what the work is and in order to know how I can contribute to that work, I need to begin thinking about, Lord, how have you gifted me and what have you called me to and how does my puzzle piece fit into the larger puzzle? Right? That's what he's calling us into, and that's exciting to think about that. Right? That's exciting to think about what that would look like. And by, by the way, by the way, let me give a little bit of a, a caveat here, okay? And where's Pastor Joe at? Pastor Joe, if you need to correct this, then correct it, man. But being called to ministry doesn't just mean doing something as a ministry of Mission Ebenezer Family Church. Because God could call you to a ministry on your street. And guess what? That is an extension of this church. Because this is where you're fed, this is where you're encouraged, this is where you're equipped, this is where you're discipled, this is where you're filled up. And then you get filled up, but, but, but it makes no sense to be filled up and not do anything with it. We, we get filled up and built up so that we could leave and say, Lord, give me your vision. As I look at that 91 and 110 and 405 and I look at these streets and as I drive past that park and I look at that school and I look at my workplace and I look at my family, Father, what do you want to do in those spaces and how do you want to use me and the gifts that you've called me to to make an impact so that I can serve you with my life? That's what being called into ministry. It doesn't always mean every 100% of folks here have to be uh, leading a specific ministry here on this campus. In fact, if that were the case, then we're missing the mark because God's calling us to go and take this out. Right? And so it's important to differentiate and to recognize that there's a big job. There's a big, there's a lot of brokenness. Somebody say amen. amen. There's a lot of confusion. Somebody say amen. amen. There's a lot of folks walking around with pain and scars and wounds and trying to figure out what to do to get through them by numbing it, by, by running to drugs and alcohol and relationships and other kinds of things just to try to figure out how to not feel that pain for another day. When all of a sudden, if they were open to it, they could hear that there's a God who knows their pain, who's dealt with their pain, who could walk them through their pain, who could deliver them from their pain, and who could walk them into a new life filled with hope, filled with joy 
filled with restoration and healing, and that's available and possible. And, and, and yet what they continue to run to is thing after thing that makes them only emptier and more confused and broken. Man, there is a big job that God is calling the church to be part of. And we've got to name it. Right? The job isn't how awesome is our Sunday morning service. That's not the job. Does that make sense? I know I'm going hard because I'm going hard on me. I'm going hard on us. Because if we're going to be who God's calling us to be, then we've got to take a step back and say, what's the job, God? Because if we don't, how about this? You ever been in a, in a job, like an actual job, and your boss didn't know how to communicate what needed to get done? You ever been in that kind of a setting? It's kind of confusing, right? And they almost like expect that you can guess what needs to get done. And then you start doing something and then you get reprimanded. And you're like, how are you going to reprimand me? You didn't even teach me how to do it right in the first place. <laughs> and then they go, you're fired. And they go, dang. Right? In order for us to see how we can contribute, we first have to know what needs to get done. So once we know what needs to get done, then we say, who am I with? Right? So let me give you an example. Um, let's say we're uh, trying to promote something that we want people to be part of. And so we're like, hey, we want somebody to see something visually that's appealing so that they come and be part of that. And let's say I was on the same team as Brother Will right here in the second row with the camera in hand, right? And let's say he and I are on the same team and we have this vision. And I say, Will, I got this idea, man. I'm going to take my drone, which I don't have, by the way, and I'm going to run my drone over a bunch of people and I'm going to create an awesome video, right? Like, immediately, somebody in that room should say, Pastor Koba, don't even think about touching a drone. Because we're not going to replace it after you break it, right? And, and don't even think about trying to edit the video because people are going to leave and not come. Because they're going to be like, what kind of choppy video was that? It's going to look like the Blair Witch Project, for those who remember that back in the day. All, like, up and down. Thank God for Will. Thank God for our team, right? And if I, if I look around and say, what job needs to get done and who am I with, really quickly I should be able to say, well, I definitely not going to do that. Definitely not going to do that. But I can do this. Does that make sense? So let's get back to uh, Romans 12 real quick, and then we'll jump back into, into where we are. So it says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We all have different gifts. Somebody say different. Right? And that's a good thing. Right? That's a good thing that we all have different gifts. Okay? Aren't you glad that we have people called here who are really gifted at working with children? I was listening for the loudest amen. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> right? No, I, I'm, I'm thankful, right, that we have those who are really, I, I'm thankful that we have those here who they could walk up to anybody, anywhere, anytime, strike up a conversation, right, and like after 10 minutes that person thinks that they're, you're their best friend because you're loving, you're, you're, uh, you, you, you love interacting with strangers, you love uh, blessing somebody's day, whether or not you know them, and God's gifted you that way. Guess what? There are some in here who are terrified of that. Am I right? But that doesn't mean they're not gifted. It just means maybe they're gifted in a different way, right? I specifically am, am grateful. Let me give you a quick example of this. 
Um, so there's uh, some of you remember Suzette Sarate, who uh, is on staff at another church. The Lord called her to go and take her gifts uh, with her and her husband. Um, so Pastor Joe and I were talking about this vision. We wanted to bring young adults from not just our church but other churches together for, to worship. And so we had this vision, and, man, we, we were talking, like, theology, and, yeah, we want to see this kind of transformation happen and these kinds of experiences, but, like, don't ask me to do a Google or Excel spreadsheet to save my life, okay? Because it just, I'm like, I'll do it by, by hand. Some of you are like, you're too young, Pastor Kobe. You should know how to use all those forms and, and sign-up genius and all that. And I'm like, man, I'll do it by hand, bro. And as we were talking, Suzette's like, okay, look, before you guys get too far down that track of who's going to do what, let me just tell you what, like, I am, I excel at these things. This is, like, my sweet spot. And I do these things really, really well. And she started coming up with a list of all the different things that she loves to do, that she's really good at, and that she knows how to do. And all of a sudden, it was like, thank you, Jesus, for the body of Christ. Right? Because she's like, within a matter of 20 minutes, had already created a sign-up form, already started to build a website, already started to do all these different. I'm like, amen. I never made a website in my life. But I know people who can. And they love it. I got a, somebody that I work with at, at, at APU, and she's our finance coordinator. And I love talking with her, and, and she's really funny the way that she operates. Because, you know, when she does something fin financially, and she, oh, yeah, I'll run this report and this, that, and I'll have it to you by the end of the day. And I look at it, and I'm thanking her. Thank you, Tracy, so much for doing that. And this is amazing. I it's very clear. And I ask her a question. She gives me an answer and all that. And she goes, no, you don't have to thank me that much. She goes, I don't thank you every time you go up there and preach, but never ask me to go up there and do that. And I'm like, okay, deal, you know, shake on it, right? Why? Because we, we, we're the body of Christ, right? So let, let, let me fast forward now because I don't want to bleed too much over and I'll get too excited up here. Um, so let's talk about calling. Somebody say calling. Say it louder than that. Somebody say calling. There we go. Okay, when we're talking about calling, there's this quote that I love uh, on the topic of uh, calling, and it comes from a, an author named, uh, and theologian named Frederick Beekner. And he says, calling is the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger. Let me say it one more time. He says, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger. In other words, what Beekner is saying in this is calling is the convergence of, of our, our ability to look and, and survey and figure out what, where is the brokenness and what are the needs. And then with the other hand saying, what do I have to bring to the table? And finding a way in which those things come together is calling. Right? And, and I'll, I want to add another component. So I want to start off by uh, leaning into Beekner's quote, but also uh, reflecting on three things and kind of a fourth, uh, a fourth item that comes along with it. So similar to the quote that I just read, one element of calling is the needs of others or the needs of the world. Okay? That's a good place to start. It's a good place to simply say, Lord, teach me to see the spaces where you are at work but you want the church to join you, right? Uh, wouldn't it be awkward if 
we had churches on every corner in every city and community, and we all did the same thing? Like we all hung out with people who are already Christians all the time. But nobody's thinking about homelessness. Nobody's thinking about prostitution. Nobody's thinking about human trafficking. Nobody's thinking about drug addiction. Nobody's thinking about all of these various things that we could look at. Nobody's thinking about the kids. Nobody's thinking about the schools. Nobody's thinking about housing. Nobody's thinking about these needs and issues. And, and, and what happens there is we are cutting ourselves uh, short in ministry. So the first thing we have to do is recognize what, where are the needs, right? Maybe even something like a needs assessment, right? Pull out a piece of paper. Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, help me to see what needs are around me in my community that you want something to be done about. Start there, right? Guess what happens in that prayer? A burden starts to form, right? Again, it could be with tears. It could be with passion, okay? In fact, the word passion, we often talk about that, and what we think it means is something that you get excited about, but it actually comes from the word to suffer when we think of the passion of the Christ. So when we think of passion, we might ask ourselves the question, what are you willing to suffer for? So needs assessment is allowing us to see what's, what's broken, that God wants to be in, in, involved, and, he, and that's, that's step number one. Step number two is ability. Uh, what's my ability, right? What's my ability? What are the things that I'm gifted to do? Because we all have different gifts, different talents, right, that we can bring to the table. Well, we've already talked about some, some examples of that. So needs, ability, and then the other third component is what's something that you love to do? What's something that gets you up early or might keep you up late? Something that you could do for hours on end and forget that it was time to take a break to eat because you were so excited about what you were doing. Pay attention to that. God gave you that. Right? Uh, Will, I'm going to pick on you again. Right? Uh, I could think of, and, and I'll throw myself under the bus for a second and challenge myself as a dad. I could think of, you know, having conversations with my kids and saying, you know what, enough screen time and computers. Put that away for a second. Go outside, ride your bike. But what if God's calling one of them to, to learn how to do what you do? And I'm holding them back from that because I don't think drones are God can use them for his glory. Right? But I need to be able to say, like, no, if God's gifted you with that and you're, you're excited about that, how can the Lord use that passion to bring him glory and to reach somebody that I can't? Right? So, needs of others, ability, passion, thinking about how those things converge, right? And then the fourth component, which I mentioned earlier, is who's around me, okay? Because oftentimes when we think of that question, who am I with, right, that'll help to determine And if I'm with somebody and I know they're really gifted at something, right, and I'm kind of gifted at that, then I'm going to say, that's all you, <laughs> right? Because I need to be able to pay attention to who's around me, Right? Uh, you think of military examples, and not everybody could do the same thing, right? But when you work together as a team, you can accomplish great things, right? So as we think of the body of Christ, when we bring our different callings, we pay attention to who's around us, what are the needs, right? What do I get excited about? What am I able to do? And we, we kind of mix that all together, then all of a sudden, we begin to see opportunities for us to say, okay, Lord, I think it's getting clearer for me. You might be calling me into this. You might be calling me to join this. You might be calling me to start this. You might be calling me to support this, right? Because it's aligned with the things that we just mentioned. Okay, I'm going to say something, and I want you to jot it down. If you have a pen, if you have your 
phone out or something that you could write this down. Because this, if we were doing a workshop following the sermon today, this is what we would do. Um, there is an assessment that's called the Spiritual Gifts Assessment. And you can find it at spiritualgiftsassessment.org. And I think you could probably complete it in about five minutes. And you just click buttons. It asks you questions. You click buttons. And then it will tell you, hey, you should pay attention because maybe God might want to use you in this way. Sound good? I'll say it one more time if you're writing it down. Spiritualgiftsassessment.org. Got it? Spiritualgiftsassessment.org. Are we good there? Okay, let's bring it to a close this morning. So let's go back to Paul's initial challenge to the church in Rome. His initial challenge was, don't think that you're better than somebody else because of the gift that you have, right? He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, right? He says, have sober judgment. Um, so then the question that I want to ask is, how do we stay humble in our gifts and avoid arrogance or comparison? Okay, so if Paul's saying... When we come together in the body, we've got all these divisions, right? Again, as we think about the church in Rome, they had slave and free. They had Jews and Gentiles. They had women and men. They had rich and poor. They had all these different kinds of, they even had like Jews who grew up in Jerusalem and Jews who grew up in Rome, and they even had issues with each other, right? So they had all these divisions, and, and what he's saying to them is, okay, here's how we can start becoming a body, being united, right? Learning how to work together. Um, and so I want to give a, a couple of tips as to how we can practice that, model that, and challenge ourselves to do better in that regard. Tip number one, learn to see and acknowledge the unique gifts of others. I believe that it's impossible to be arrogant about your gifts while simultaneously being able to genuinely identify and speak the gifts of others. Why? Because in that moment, you're not making it about yourself, right? In that moment, you're able to recognize and identify the gifts of the body. And what does that do? That keeps us from thinking that there are only certain gifts that matter. Does that make sense? So there's a, a, a kind of a, a, a sub point with that. And the sub point is it's especially important to acknowledge the unique gifts of others without self-deprecation. So what I mean by that is it's important to be able to say, hey, Mario's really good at this, and I'd never be able to do that, and I'm so terrible, and I wish I was more like Mario. That's not what I'm talking about, right? What I'm talking about is I feel confident in who God's called me to be, and additionally, there are some things that you do that I see that God has made you for, that you've been doing that for a really long time, and that when you do that, it creates space where other people can operate in their gifts. So I want to encourage you to keep doing that, right? Whether it be the way that you talk with people, how natural it is that you are able to engage because of the big heart that God's given you, right, for your work, like that's a gift that you have. That maybe somebody, that might not be naturally how they operate, and that's fine because we need you and we need them. Right? So learning how to see and acknowledge the unique gifts of others, especially without allowing that to make us feel bad about the fact that we don't have that. Make sense? 
Tip number two, learn to celebrate and affirm the gifts of others. So that's taking it to the next step. The first one is awareness. The second step is actually going to somebody and telling them, hey, I don't know if you know this or not, but whenever I have a conversation with you and you said this one thing, that's something that God has uniquely given to you, right? Um, Mama Kathy, I'm going to pick on you for a second. This is a family meeting, right? Mama Kathy, if you're going through a hard time and you, you're not experiencing the presence of God, uh, make sure you walk out those doors after service and swing by Mama Kathy because the Lord will give her a word for you, a word of encouragement and a word of reminder of who he is and what he's doing in your life because she has the gift of encouragement. Right? And sometimes she sings it. I don't know if you're aware of that, but like she'll sing it, and there might be a time when we intentionally pause in a worship song because worship songs are good, and they have lyrics, but those lyrics came from somebody else. But we'll intentionally pause that, and the Lord might give her a new song that she'll sing during that song that's actually not something that's in any of our programs that God gave her in the moment. That's a gift, and it blesses us, does it not? Right? Some of us are like, don't ever ask me to do that. Don't ask me to sing, and don't ask me to spontaneously share something that God might be saying. And what I would say is, praise God. But we can thank the Lord that God has given us Mama Kathy. Right? I can remember, sorry, Mama Kathy, I, I, I hate to continue putting you on the spot, but I can remember her getting ready to go into or come out of a significant surgery or a significant loss in her life. And she'll be here either the, the, both the Sunday before and the Sunday after giving people words of encouragement. I don't know about you, but to me, I'm like, shoot, if I was wondering what the Lord can do, I'm reminded in that moment that if God can give her the strength to live into her calling, then he can do that for me too. So learn to celebrate and affirm. So I'm going to give you a homework assignment. You ready? Think and pray about one person, maybe today, maybe this week, maybe both. It doesn't have to be just one. You can do ten, but at least one. If everybody can do at least one, think of one person that, that the Lord is calling you to make sure you either say to them or write a note to them, letting them know, maybe even a text message, that's fine, letting them know that you see a gift that they have. Can we do that? Raise your hand if you're going to do that. I'm going to do it, okay? Think of it. Think of somebody that God is calling you to affirm and encourage to let them know that you see something that they have and that you want them. Because here's the thing. More often than not, it's hard for us to see that in ourselves, which is why I gave you that assessment tool, because it's hard to be objective about that. We just think, well, I've always done that ever since I was little. But guess what? God gave that to you for a reason. It's not just because it's your personality or because of the family that you grew up in, all of that is on purpose, and God wants to use that for his glory, right? Does that make sense? Okay. And my last tip. After you've challenged yourself to be aware of others' gifts, you've challenged yourself to actually step out and speak that and encourage somebody, the third thing is learn to accept and celebrate your own gifts. Some of us are really good at telling somebody else how good they are. But at the end of the day, we're terrible at being able to acknowledge and own and welcome the way that God has uniquely gifted us. Guess what? The enemy will use that as an attack to keep you from what God's calling you to. 
You think it's humility, it's actually holding you back from walking in God's calling. Can I say that one more time? You might think that you're trying to avoid being arrogant by not owning the gifts that God's given you, but in reality, the enemy's using that as, an, a, tool, as a tool to keep you away from blessing others with the gift that God's given you. Amen? And if you're like, Pastor Koba, how'd you know all that? Because I've, I'm, I've been through it and I go through it. And I recognize that if I'm trying to have false humility in this area, then I'm holding back something God wants to use to bless somebody else's life. And the enemy would love for me to do that. Walk around in false humility all the time and nobody's getting blessed by the gifts that God's given me to use. Because I think I'm, I'm trying to not be arrogant when in reality what I'm doing is I'm withholding what God's called me to use for his glory. So rather than doing that, the best antidote to arrogance in that regard is learning how to celebrate the gifts of others so that you can also celebrate the gifts God's given you. Why? So that we could be reminded there's a big job to do and that we all need to be contributing in order to accomplish that mission that God's put in front of us. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. Let's pray. Would you stand with me? If you are able, and we will close in a word of prayer. Remember, calling, needs, passion, talent, those things coming together, right? Converging, um, bringing all of our unique puzzle pieces together so that we can see the body of Christ and how we can operate, right? Um, so God's calling us into that church. I, I don't think we've seen yet what God wants to do through this church. It's not just about what happens on a Sunday morning. Right? What happens on a Sunday morning needs to be connected to what God wants to do 52 weeks out of the year, 365 days a year. God's calling us into that. That's exciting. Right? Isn't that exciting? Think about that. That's rare. That's unique. But God might be calling us to live that out. Okay? To learn what that looks like. I think if we did that, man... Not that it's a comparison. We don't want other churches to look and say, oh, well, how are they figuring that out? No. We want people who have questions about God, about church, about scripture to see how we operate. And all of a sudden, they say there's something special about that place. Because they're not just interested in their own individual stuff. But they're like, they work together. And they love each other. And they're humble. And they lift each other up. And they do good stuff. Right? Which is, by the way, that's us. That's us. And I want to acknowledge that, but I think we have room to grow. Amen? We have room to grow. So Romans 12, 3 through 8 is reminding us in that regard. Uh, Paul is giving us this challenge, and he's saying, hey, by the grace given to me, he starts out with that in verse 3, right? It's not my own grace. I didn't give it to myself. By the grace given to me by God, I say to every one of you, I love that he says everyone. He didn't just say, hey, let me just talk to the people who are ready for ministry, and everybody else go outside. No, he says, all of you. Right? All of us are called into this. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us are one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So we in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Amen? Lord, we thank you for the, today's word, for... Um, just the, uh, man, the depth of pastoral um, wisdom that you gave to Paul to encourage this baby church in Rome to teach them how to be one, how to uh, pool their talents to bring you glory and honor. Uh, 
Um, teach us to be that way too, Lord. If we get distracted by things that aren't the mission, it's not the job, uh, teach us to re refine and refocus what the job is and uh, teach us how to see ourselves and one another uh, through your eyes, not through the pattern of this world, um, but as you've called us to, to, uh, to be living sacrifices, um, that we would bring our gifts, our talents, that we would um, allow ourselves to be cognizant of the needs around us so that this church might live into the mission, the Great Commission, um, to go and make disciples of all people. Uh, so, Lord, we thank you for this, this time to gather this morning and for the air conditioning and this beautiful church. Uh, lead us forward into your work together as one. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.